This week on Art on the Air, our entire show features former Chicago Tribune photographer who collaborated with Rick Kogan on his column Sidewalks about interesting people and places in the greater Chicago area, Charles Osgood, who continues his career as a freelancer. Our spotlight is on the Duneland Photography Club with its president Steve Bensing about their January 15th exhibit, Opening at Art Barn. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m., plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight, or actually welcome back, uh, Steve Bensing, who's president of the Duneland Photography Club. And they meet regularly in Porter County here at the uh, Sunset Hill Farm County Park. Right. And that's what what days do you meet? Uh, our regular meeting is the first Tuesday of the month, and we usually meet at uh, 7 p.m. Okay. And I know you used to have a thing where they, people would come earlier for like some mentoring also. Yes. Sometimes we'll have a, an early uh, 530 uh, mentoring session. So we do that. We we're still doing that uh, most of the time. Excellent. So uh, tell us a little bit about what they're, you're doing now with the club, uh, what you have been doing uh, in terms of exhibits. I think you just had an exhibit close and uh, what you got coming up and other activities maybe into 2022. Okay. Well, the Dillon Photography Club, we've, you know, we've decided that we want to keep people engaged as much as possible. So uh, in the days when we were, you know, really cautious about what was going on. We were meeting by Zoom, but now, uh, and we've had some meetings outdoors. Uh, now we're ha- we're meeting at our regular places again, but we still have a lot of outdoor things, and we still use uh, the internet for some of our activities. So we're using pretty much any modality we have to keep people uh, engaged and informed. Uh, so we give you an example of some of the things we've been doing. We we do some community service. For example, the uh, uh, Memorial Opera House in Valparaiso, we do some photography for them. And uh, so that they've started up their productions. 
and we're uh, we're doing photos of the uh, uh, headshots of the artists, and we're also having uh, one of our members is doing some of the uh, the live shots of the uh, uh, dress rehearsals, so they have some action shots as well. So we're doing that kind of thing. Uh, we've we've been uh, members have been involved in different exhibits that have been going on, uh, and uh, this exhibit that we have coming up in the beginning of the year will be uh, one of the first times that we've gotten together uh, as a, having a club exhibit. The last time we did that uh, as a group was, uh, I believe it was earlier this year at the Chesterton Art Center, uh, somewhere uh, around February and March. So, so now, so Steve, now is there, how big is the membership and is there a fee to belong to it? Yes. Okay. So, our, mem- our membership is growing. We have over 100 paid members right now. Uh, of course, they're not all showing up at the exact same time, but, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's been amazing. Even in times of, uh, you know, uh, pandemic times and so on, we have, we've had a lot of people that have been interested. They've seen us out on outings and on hikes in the dunes or different places, and they've uh, been interested and wanted to join up with us. So uh, it seems like every month we have some more people joining and it's really pretty uh reasonable to join the club it's only ten dollars a year for an individual member and if you want to sign up as a family it's twenty dollars so we uh uh we're getting membership for the new year right now but uh anyway we we we've been growing and we're just happy that we can be here for for people that are interested in photography do you have any field trips planned yes uh as a matter of fact now there's some that uh uh, we're doing uh, in the month of December, which by the time this is it, this aired, uh, will be over with. But you know, we just to give you an example of things that we do. We've done some hikes in the dunes. We've done. Uh, uh, we're going to uh, be going to Lincoln Park Zoo and uh, do some photos of the zoo lights. Also, locally, we'll go to Petyville and take some pictures of the Christmas lights there. Uh, in uh, in the winter time, we like to get some hikes, uh, even in the snow. So we've done some of that and, uh, we'll, we'll be having some of those things coming up early in the year. Uh, sometimes it's nice to go to some of the events that are local, such as, uh, in downtown Valparaiso. Uh, it's, it's pretty, especially we get a little bit of snow. Uh, we'll be looking to, uh, get out and get some pictures of that. Uh, at our upcoming meetings, uh, we have a variety of things planned for, um, for this, this coming year uh, in January, uh, one of our members, Dave Laseco is going to do a presentation on film photography and developing your own film. And he's a unique individual and uh, we love his, uh, his interest and his uh, uh, technical ability in doing some of those, what might, some people might consider old school photography, but we learn a lot from that. In uh, February, we're actually going to have a Zoom meeting, but uh, Barry Butler, who's a uh, well-known photographer in Chicago, has agreed to uh, do a presentation for us via Zoom. So we're going to be doing that in February. And then in March, we have uh, scheduled Leela Hewlett, who's the superintendent of the photography for 4-H. And we're going to have her do a presentation on how to teach your kids photography. So you can see there's quite a variety of things that we're, we're uh, planning on uh, coming up. 
A beautiful variety. We've got a little over a minute left, and we want to make sure we hit about the upcoming exhibit you have at the Art Barn. So tell us some of the details about uh, that. Okay, the Art Barn exhibit, uh, it will be uh, our exhibit, the Doolin Photography Club. We're setting it up on the January the 8th. We'll have an opening reception on the 15th, and it runs through the 12th of February. Along with us, uh, there's an artist in residence at the Art Barn right now. And she will be uh, she will be there as well, Samantha Purse, and she uh, will be part of our uh, reception as well. So uh, we'll be kind of sharing that a little bit with with that. We think that's a fun thing to do as well. So it will be members of the club essentially, as far as the photography is concerned, and uh, we're looking we're putting that together right now. Very good. So it's the uh, Doonland Photography Club at the Art Barn, which is at 695 North 400 East in Valparaiso. It's running January 8th through February 12th, and the opening reception is January 15th. Steve Bensing, thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air Spotlight. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air. He was a Chicago Tribune photographer during his career, now as a freelancer specializing in theater, performance, events, including sometimes weddings, travel, and fashion. Uh, For 13 years, he collaborated with Rick Kogan on his column, Sidewalks, about interesting people and places in the greater Chicago area, and uh, all the books that were associated with that called the SidewalksBookCompany.com. Please welcome to Art on the Air, Chuck Osgood. Welcome to Art on the Air. Thank you very much. It's a Welcome. pleasure to be here. It's so what great to see you, it? Chuck. <laughs> well, we usually like to start out an interview with kind of like you telling us your personal story, like how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us a little bit about your background, Chuck. Okay, so uh, I did things a little bit backwards. But anyway, I went the, the normal thing through high school and college. But um, and then the Army at that time. Uh, you, you were almost forced to go in the army. So I went through ROTC, uh, went over to Korea for a couple of years, came back. I had no idea what I was going to do. And uh, so I figured, well, I love travel. I'll go to work for American Airlines in their management training program. Did that. And uh, I got washed out after a year and a half. So I thought, well, what's next? And the only thing I could think of that would make me happy was photography. So I thought I'd pursue that. Uh, I got a job at Altman's camera. If anybody remembers that. And I do loop. And uh, I was there for two weeks when another job offer came through to me. And that was with the uh, city news bureau, which is that old venerable organization that trained uh, reporters, photographers, not photographers, reporters, uh, how to be reporters. So I learned everything I learned about journalism at City News. I was there for seven months, uh, moved over to the Tribune, started there as a reporter and uh, and writer. And I had no training for this, really. I was at City News for seven months. The first day I was at City News, I said, how many photographers are here? And the guy looked at me and said, we don't have any photographers. What are you talking about? 
So I said, uh, what, what does that, what am I? Am I a reporter? He said, yeah, you're a reporter. I said, great. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. So anyway, I uh, went to the Tribune as a reporter and writer. I had actually two weeks of training writing at City News. And then um, I was a, uh, a journalist. Now, you had real, a lot of trouble getting photographers at that time to uh take pictures for your stories. So I took my own pictures. They said, yeah, it's fine. We'll use your pictures, but you can't use our darkroom. So I take my film home, process the film at, in my bathroom, make prints, bring them in, and prints with, with my story. Uh, at one point, my boss called me to the office and he said, you know, uh, I think you're going to have a hard time being a reporter but there's an opening in the photo department. So <laughs> I jumped over to photo and there I was, that was the beginning. 39 years later, I left. So um, was it city news that you had like the midnight beat or was it the trib? Well, both actually I had the night, the night beat at city news for starters. And there was a guy there named Arnold Dornfeld and everybody called him Dorney. And he was a real scary guy. He was big and he was mean looking. And he gave you a lot of grief if you didn't do things right. So he's famous for the expression, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. <laughs> every time advice. you did a story, you had to check that's and double good check. Advice. And double check. <laughs> In fact, I think that was the title of his uh, memoirs. So was it like a typical, so what are the nights like? Well, the nights are more hard news and um, fires and things like that. Day, day shift, you do some news, some hard news. In fact, my first assignment was I worked out of one of the local police stations, which is a really nice way to go because you get to know the cops there. They get to know you. They feed you stories. And these are stories that would never come to light if you didn't have that connection. That's long, long gone. Uh, that cooperation, you mean? Yeah, cooperation, right. Well, tell us about that Rick Hogan Sidewalks uh, uh, project you work on for many, many years. Maybe jumping oh, ahead yeah. a little bit on your timeline, but I'm curious about that. Oh, yeah, I just uh, love that series so much. It was like the highlight every Sunday. It was my highlight, too. It was the best job I could even think of in journalism because first of all you're with Kogan and Kogan's fantastic and he's funny and he, he's a really sharp reporter so he'd come up with these story ideas or actually how it started was the two of us just jumped in a car and went out and looked for stories and that was that was how the whole column started uh, later on he switched over and came up with his own story ideas for the most part but even so, it's sort of got that feel of of uh, discovery. So how did you two, how did you two, uh, did you meet at the Trib? Did you meet before the Trib? How oh, did your no, friendship come trip. about? Uh, yeah, we met with, uh, uh, we. He, he was a freelancer for the Trib. And he had to do a story on Coco Taylor. The the blues, the queen of the blues. The queen, and yes. I was assigned to Coco, 
and we spent two or three days with Coco in and out at nights watching her concert. But we started out going to her home and knocked on the door and she came in her bathroom with her hair bathroom with her hair up and she's and she said, Yes, can I help you? We said, Well, we have an appointment with you this morning now. And she said, Oh, I thought that was tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> So we uh, we hung out with Coco and her uh, her husband Pops and uh, and their dog, little little yappy dog. You know, so that started out. Then he came up. Uh, he was assigned to the magazine years later. See, it was 1987 that uh, we did Coco Taylor, and it was 1998 when he was working on the magazine and he was taking over a column that he didn't like. So he decided to come up with a new angle for the column, and that was sidewalks. And then he called me and said, you want to do this? And I said, are you kidding me? Yeah. So we did it together for uh, 13 years before the Tribune pulled the plug on me. Because the last three years I was freelancing, and they didn't like paying for a freelancer when they had their own staff that could do it free. That's understandable. Well, tell us some of the other adventures. You've done a lot of theater and concerts and things like that. And also some of the things you did, like uh, you hitchhiked to Seattle or for the World's Fair. And uh, tell us a little about that and maybe even where you went to college. Well, okay. So I went to Ripon College, Ripon, Wisconsin. Uh, I was buddies with Al Jarreau, who's the famous jazz singer now. But he was in a, in a group called the Indigos at Ripon. Ripon, by the way only has about 850 students. So uh, he would go, he and the Indigos would uh, rehearse in the student commons and I'd go in there and and hang out with them. Uh, I like to consider myself the fifth Indigo, but I'm not sure anybody else would. (laughs) um, And then, um, so he was, he graduated in 62. I was supposed to graduate in 63, but my I, my grades were horrible, and uh, so I hitchhiked out to the Seattle World's Fair and worked out there selling popcorn and caramel corn and uh, some god-awful grape and raspberry drinks of some sort uh, and had a blast. And then went down to San Francisco and hung out there for a while and worked in the department store for Christmas in the kids' section. And then uh, came back and went back to school, uh, which meant I was in the same class as Harry Ford. Uh, Harry Ford, as you may know him better, is Harrison Ford. (laughs) So we had uh, some well-known performers of sorts in our uh, small school. There I went in... I took ROTC because my grades were so bad and it was an easy A. So, and I figured they were going to call me up in the Army as soon as I graduated anyway. So I was a lieutenant in Korea for almost two years. Then after that, uh, you could get separated in Korea if you wanted to and you had a year. They would pay for your flight back for a whole year. So I left the army in Korea and took a, uh, a a boat to Japan and then another boat to uh, 
to uh, Hong Kong, which was gorgeous. I was the only passenger on this Norwegian freighter to Hong Kong. <laughs> oh and we arrived at, it was about three days, and we passed right by China, which back in 1966 was a real scary place to go. So uh, we got to Hong Kong as the sun rose, and it was really gorgeous. Did you have your camera with you? I had uh, a half frame camera. Good question. Uh, so I didn't. I wanted to travel light, and uh, I don't know if you know what a half frame is, but it takes twice as many pictures on a roll of film. So you only shoot a half a frame every time you click the shutter. And uh, so I got seventy two pictures out of a roll of film. And yes, uh, do I have the pictures from the boat? I don't think so, but I have some pictures in half frame from that time. How long did you travel? You said you had up to a year to, to oh, take that I, return four, flight. Four months. So I went to. So my first um, entry into uh, hard news maybe was in Macau. So I was in in Hong Kong, Macau. I wanted to go to Macau, but suddenly there are a whole lot of riots there. They closed down the city, and you couldn't get to the island of Macau, which was uh, run by the Portuguese at that time. So the first day that Macau opened back up, I uh, hopped in a ferry and went over to Macau and kind of snuck pictures of broken statues and things like that. And that was it. And then I, after Macau, I went to, got all the way down to Singapore and stayed, stayed with a, a buddy that I'd met in, uh, in Thailand, in Bangkok, just a few weeks before, he was with the, uh, what do you call, when the, the people that go to foreign countries and work for a couple of years. Like an expat? What's that? Like an expat or something? No, uh, no? It, it's a government thing. Oh, you know? a government thing. Um, like a diplomat. Oh, wouldn't no. that be? Nice? Yeah, they are sort of like diplomats. Right. But they're, uh, anyway, I hung out with him for about a month and then came back to the States. Looking, it ended up in San Francisco. That's as far as the Army would take me. I had to fly back on my own to <laughs> Milwaukee at that time and uh, stayed at home in Milwaukee for a few months looking for a job in Chicago because I wanted to get out of Milwaukee and got a job with American Airlines. And what did you do with that? Well, I, uh, I was in a management training course and so I did all sorts of things that management has to deal with. And after a year and a half, they realized I wasn't management material, <laughs> something I knew long before that. But I was able to fool them for a year and a half. And uh, But then I was, I was out of a job. I could have stayed on as a ticket agent, but I decided to go off because I... I said, well, what am I going to do? And I've been planning this. What am I going to do? I'm going to, I would really like to get into photography. Something that I had done, uh, when I, ever since I got my first camera at age seven. And I was a photographer for the school newspapers and the school and, uh, the yearbooks. So, uh, I loved it. Did you do any training is for photography or like a lot of people? Did you just pick it up pretty much? I just picked it up until I got to the Tribune, and then I decided to take my first course uh, at uh, IIT, 
And so I was a reporter, took pictures for my columns, for my stories at the Tribune, and then started taking photo courses. And after only two months in the photo course, they moved me over to the photo department. But uh, I ended up uh, getting an MFA there in 1976 and uh, never used the MFA as such. Well, I don't know. You teach. You teach. What's that? You also teach. So you've Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. I Actually, I did use it because I taught at Columbia. Yeah. uh, About once or sometimes twice a year uh, for about 20 years. So Chuck, can you, can you talk about some of the places that you got to go to because of the trib and, and one that I'll mention. Because of the what? I'm sorry. Because of the trib stories that you were covering for the Tribune, because I, I know we've spoken about this before because I, you know, I love dance so much and those images that you have of Barishnikov rehearsing are just so intimate and wonderful. And I really felt like I was there. So I know that's one trip assignment. And I also know in the seventies, was it the trip that you went to see the Sly Stone concert? Yeah. Okay. So the Sly Stone non-concert was in 1970 and he was going to be at Grant Park. And uh, he had this reputation for not showing or showing up incredibly late, sometimes as much as seven or eight hours late. Uh, so there, the place was packed. There was an opening act on stage. I was on stage, uh, taking pictures of the opening act and the audience. And after about 45 minutes, somebody in the back of the audience threw a bottle on stage and then somebody else threw a bottle and then somebody threw a can and then suddenly it started raining down stuff, objects, rocks, every, anything that someone could throw. And uh, I got off the stage as quickly as I could. The band that was playing got off the stage. Some of their instruments were damaged. And uh, Did you get any shots from behind the speakers? From behind the... No, just I'm like to dodge all the stuff coming on stage. Did you <laughs> document that? Well, it's kind of hard to get, you know, one or, you know a, a bottle in air. Uh, I, True, I'm not but sure. debris Maybe on some the of stage. my shots have some of those in it, but if they were in the shot, then it would be the bottle would be so small, you know, you probably couldn't see it, not see it well. <laughs> well, actually, the one that um, so uh, you also got to fly to L.A. with Led Zeppelin. That was that was my favorite story of my career. Actually, <laughs> I had that early. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, so Led Zeppelin was coming to town, and I th- and they're they're known for going to uh, g- going out and seeing various parts of the city, blues bars, things like that. So I got in touch with their PR guy about six or eight weeks before they came, and we're talking back and forth uh, for quite a long time. And yes, I was going to be able to do this. Yes, yes, no problem. And he calls me in their opening. On their opening night in Chicago, they had, I think, three or four sold-out concerts. Uh, he called me up and he said, well, we're canceling tonight's concert because Robert Plant has laryngitis. But uh, we're taking uh, their private plane to L.A. Would you like to come along? <laughs> I, I thought about it for about a split second. I said, absolutely, I'll come. 
I didn't know if, if the Tribune would allow me to go, but I just said I'd go. And then I checked with the Tribune, and they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> we got on the can. Uh, I got picked up by a limousine at 5 o'clock that same day, and in the limousine was Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones in the back seat with their arms around a, a couple of young ladies. And I stayed in the front seat, and I turned around, and I took pictures of them. We got out to O'Hare in 20 minutes during rush hour. I still can't figure that one out. And uh, <laughs> got on their plane, their, their private jet called Starship, and uh, I was read the rules, and that was I could photograph anything I wanted until they said stop. And when they said stop, I had to put my cameras away, and then I could party with them or do whatever I wanted. Yeah. Well, this plane was unlike any plane I've ever seen before or since. It was designed with uh, rotating chairs in, in the main passenger part. There was couches along the sides and the back and, uh, and various, various other chairs just kind of cast around in various situations. Then behind that was a bar, and John Paul Jones acted as the bartender. Mm -hmm. And then behind that, there was a, a bedroom with a queen-size bed in it. And uh, I think that was it. <laughs> there might have been a shower. There's probably a shower back there, too. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't see that. But uh, Did you cover anyway, a concert in L.A.? No, no. They just wanted to go party. Oh, <laughs> this is a party group. They had uh, they had their own plane. They had time on their hands. They loved L.A., so they were going to go out there and party. And uh, so we, after we landed in L.A., we took separate vehicles into a hotel where they were staying. And I didn't see him for three or four days, so I just kind of hung out in L.A., waiting. And then I was told the flight's going back in two hours. I got out. I got a ride out to the plane. When we came back, the neat thing about the <laughs> the flight back was that it was totally quiet. The flight out there was party central. It was crazy. It was they were smoking dope. They were drinking. You could go to the bar. You could order any kind of drink you wanted. John Paul Jones would would pour it for you, and then he would play an electric piano behind the bar when he wasn't pouring drinks. Uh, and it, it was just great fun. Uh, Bonzo wandered around in a bathrobe and flashed the waitresses, which are not the the the, uh, the stewardesses, which pissed them off. And uh, then uh, that was it. It was just party central. <laughs> so then you went but from party. <laughs> those are the those were the best pictures, and you couldn't I couldn't take them. <laughs> the flight back was in, it was. Just the opposite, completely quiet. Everybody's just kind of walking around in a daze. I walked up to uh, uh, Jimmy Page and I, I asked him for an interview. And he said, well, I didn't think there were supposed to be interviews on this flight. I said, there aren't. I said, I just wonder if I could talk to you. And he said, eh, why not? So I had a personal interview with Jimmy Page for 10 minutes. Very nice. Landed. Uh, Robert Plant wasn't on the flight. So when we landed, he hopped on the airplane and welcomed them back. 
You're listening to Art on the Air with Chuck Osgood on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. So you also have done some traveling that maybe in more serious uh, coverage of things like, uh, I guess, in Europe, like uh, uh, Luxembourg, Frank, uh, France, England, Northern Ireland. And so tell us a little about that uh, journey there. Uh, actually, it's partly to do with covering hard news, uh, like the Sly Stone concert, which really freaked me out. Uh, I wanted to just take a leave of absence, and they gave it to me. So I took uh, one month vacation and three months leave of absence. Uh, flew to when I was 25, a week away from my 30th birthday, I flew on Icelandic for a student rate. So it was 167 bucks round trip. Flew to Luxembourg, then got in the hippie mobile to Paris, then went to uh, see an uncle in England and bought a car for 200 bucks. Drove to the coast. I, I wasn't even going to go to Ireland because I wanted to stay away from the troubles in Northern Ireland. Right. Uh, so I said, well, I can go to Ireland. That's no problem. So I took the ferry over to Ireland and drove all around Ireland, found myself at the Northern Ireland border. And I thought, well, nothing ever happens to foreign journalists, you know, or even journalists in general. I, I think I'll go there for a day or two and and uh, figure out what's going on and get the hell out. Well, it took me seven weeks before I could figure out what was going on. I hung out with a student newspaper at, uh, called Gown at uh, the university in Belfast, got to know a lot of people there. One of them is Conor O'Cleary, who went on to become the foreign correspondent for the Irish Times for uh, 30 years, and I'm still buddies with him. I, I ended up seven weeks in Belfast that I was going to completely avoid and then uh, got out of there. But then after that, I've also covered, I went to uh, no Russia, to the Soviet Union to do an economic story in 86. So before that, I went to the Nobel Awards right. in 1976. That was very cool. Uh, I bet. Two Chicagoans that year. Yeah. And then to oh, China. So after after the Soviet Union went to China for, uh, well, I was over there a total of about three weeks, a couple of weeks in China with the governor, went to Shenyang, which was our sister city, our new sister city at the time, the Chicago's. And uh, you went with Governor Thompson then, didn't you? Yeah, Governor Jim Thompson and about 50 uh, business, Chicago businessmen that were trying to make contacts over there. This was 1986, and uh, we're still pretty new to China. And that was a time that uh, in China, it was kind of different than, of course, the China that we know today, which is, you know, completely different, very industrial. That was pretty, you know, in the 80s, that was still kind of a almost a backwater. It really was. There was nobody just driving cars. There were thousands of bicycles clogging the streets. And I thought, well, they'll never have cars over here because they have, there's no room for them. But uh, I was proven wrong. <laughs> um, but what was cool is that they, they had not seen uh, Americans. They hadn't seen anybody other than Chinese for the most part. And I would go around and take pictures on Polaroids, and then I would hand them the picture 
and that they were just in awe that they had this picture of themselves that they'd never actually seen before. So that happened quite a bit. That was actually my second time in China. Uh, my uh, my then wife uh, Carol and our new baby Via uh, went over there. Well, we took four months over in Asia, and we went to Hong Kong, and not knowing that we could even get into China, and they you could get to China, you could go to China for a day. Uh, you get on a bus and you drive over the border, and you'd go in there and. So we did the same thing. Now with Via, it was very special because the Chinese, you know, any baby is everybody's baby, <laughs> and uh, so they were in awe to see her blonde hair and her blue eyes. And uh, at one point, we uh, we had eaten lunch with the others in the busload, and we were walking back to the bus and. We decided to go a slightly different way, and we walked a different path, not with the others. And uh, uh, and we well, we fi- we found ourselves completely surrounded by about thirty Chinese who were just ooing and eyeing and pointing at Via. And uh, then one of them reaches out his hands, and so I lifted her up, and and he reached out his hands for me to give via to to him and i and i did and uh and he just held her up in the air and he's smiling <laughs> and laughing and and then he passed her all around she got she got the full treatment and then uh they we got back we said we had to go with a bus or something you know with sign language and uh so via came back to us and we got on the bus and left and a lot of people say are you crazy? I mean, did you think, did you, weren't you worried at all that you wouldn't see her again? And I said, didn't occur to me till you asked the question. (laughs) You know, it's, there's such a family oriented country. I know. I was going to say it's done in love, like Italy. When I had the children in Italy, you know, everybody wanted to hug them and you just become part of a bigger family. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Did you take any photographs and were you afraid in that time of any government intervention of taking a photo of the wrong thing? No. Um, when I went with the governor, we had sort of a minder with us. So uh, not, not all the time. I think there might have been one or two times where, where I snuck a picture, but um, I wasn't really too worried about that. I figured if anybody didn't want me to do it, they'd tell me. But in the Soviet Union. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say also probably the couple times you went to Bosnia too, that must have been pretty strict rules as well. No, there's no rules in Bosnia. It's just how much you want to risk your life. <laughs> that's that's the only rule, your own your own rule. I mean, you you just have to use common sense. And no, that, that wasn't a problem. There was one time when I decided not to go into an area because I wasn't sure uh, what, it would, what it was going to be like. But I was in some very sketchy areas in Bosnia. The first time I went, well, the first time I was in Yugoslavia was 1978 uh, when uh, my wife was in a dance company and they were there for three weeks or for six weeks. And I went over for three of them and then uh, took a lot of pictures. And when I came back, the Tribune liked them so much, they sent me back to take more pictures. 
with a uh, foreign correspondent. So that worked out really well. In uh, in uh, eighty, when I went back in ninety six, I asked. I, I was working with a Yugoslavia or Bosnian uh, group here in Chicago, and I said. Uh, I, w- I was wondering if after the Dayton Peace Accords, if anybody that was here would want to go back. I mean, I was thinking, why the hell would anyone want to go back to Bosnia? And I found a couple that had been medevaced here. Uh, the man was injured in by uh, mortars and was brought here for health care. And uh, so... He and his wife really wanted to go back. They they had a house there. Their their family was there, and uh, they really wanted to go home. Uh, they spoke five words of English, and I spoke about that many in Serbo-Croatian. So um, we took a plane together. We landed in Croatia. Uh, then the problem was, how do we get into Bosnia? Because even though the war was technically over, it was still, there was still a lot of hatred going on, and it wasn't safe to be in some parts of Bosnia, especially with Bosnians. So I could fly in on a UN flight and get to Bosnia, but that would leave them to find their own way in. Then the other thing was we could take a bus in, or I could rent a car, and, but if I rented a car, I couldn't get insurance. Because it will ensure you for going into a war zone. So then the following year, you went to um, cover Pope John Paul II. So yeah. how was... Well, I, I, I think this is a really amazing story, though. I'm going to tell you, getting into Bosnia, I decided to rent the car, you know, $15,000 is the Tribune can handle it if it's stolen. And uh, we drove down the the coast of uh, Yugoslav, former Yugoslavia, and then got to the border of Croatia. We had to go through Croatia first, and we were stopped at the border and separated. And then after 10 minutes, and I didn't know if it was going to be 10 minutes or 10 hours, what would happen, we got in and we started driving. Now, I wanted, I had planned this whole thing, so we'd drive during the daytime, which would be safer when we didn't get to uh, Croatia until sundown. So we're driving through Croatia at night, total night. And then we get into Bosnia and it's black, it's pitch black. And there's no other cars on the highway. There's, uh, there's mines lining the highway. So when every time we had to stop and, and do what comes naturally, we would do it. We'd have to, have to do it in the middle of the road. So we stop, get out, get out of the car, go behind the car, go take a leak, and then <laughs> come back in, hop back in the car, and then we'd go through. Uh, the road was completely uh, potholed. Chicago has not seen potholes like this. We had a pothole. There was a hubcap that came off. I stopped the car to pick up the hubcap. Got back in. Drove in, finally got to Sarajevo, and it was the eeriest situation I've ever been in. There were no lights in Sarajevo. Once in a while, you'd single, see a single light bulb. You could see skyscrapers that had been bombed out, so there were no windows in the skyscrapers, completely empty. 
and we're driving along and uh, all of a sudden they start screaming left, left in Serbo-Croatian. And I look left and I see only a dark black alley. And I thought, oh my God, they want me to go down this alley? I said, I got this far and this is where it ends. (laughs) So I turned left. We went down the alley and half, and it's completely black on every side. And halfway down the alley, there's lights. And I'm wondering, what the hell is that? And we keep going. And then they start screaming at me to stop, stop. So I stopped the car. As soon as I stopped the car, the doors open. This is their house. And their whole family is in the in the house waiting for us, and we were four hours, six hours late, and they were freaked out because they thought something bad had happened. So we got there, and you know, it was a joyful party into the wee hours. So that's oh, the, the one thing. This is one time when I didn't think we were going to make it. We're coming over a hill in pitch blackness, and we're going down the other side of the hill. And there's a, a creek at the bottom of the hill, but the bridge has been blown out. There was a replacement bridge, which is just metal ramps going up flat over the creek and then down on the other side. So I, I just apply the brakes, black ice. Mm-hmm. We are skidding down and I have no control. I can sort of barely sk- steer the car. Uh, but I couldn't slow the car at all. We're going faster and faster. I aim for that bridge. We hit it. We go flying through the air and land on the other side of the bridge. Wow. Uh, Chuck Osgood, stunt person. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Art on the Air with Chuck Osgood on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. <laughs> so like when you're covering um, the Pope, um, as a journalist or photographer, um, do you get, how close do you get? Do you get to, I mean, do they make accommodations for the photographers or do you just yes, have to uh, muscle your way in? Well, there's a couple of, there's various situations that you, you get to photograph them. I think he was there for two or three days. And uh, so we got to cover him all those days. Um, one time uh, he was uh, speaking inside and we could go one at a time to a place where we could see him and we could get close so that all the all the uh, photographers that were there, there's probably about 20 or 30 photographers from around the world that were photographing him. And uh, so we, we would do it that way. Then he gave an outdoor speech in a stadium. And this was the weirdest weather situation I've ever been in. At one point, it was 20 degrees in a blizzard, and we could hardly see him. And uh, minutes later, it was 60 degrees and sunny. And it went back and forth like that for two hours. And this guy, I have to hand it to him. I don't know how he did it, but the Pope, who was like 80 years old at the time, gave a two-hour speech through the same thing. And when it was raining out or snowing out, there were guys that came over with umbrellas, huge umbrellas that would cover him up. But even so, he didn't put on any coat or anything. He was just, he was dressed lightly and he kept speaking. And I kept thinking, oh, please end this. this." (laughs) We were frozen, absolutely frozen. So I have a kind of a, it might be kind of personal and 
is, so have there been, like, how do you separate your own emotions from, because you've been in some, you know, horrendous situations and have been in situations that are, I would imagine, pretty tough. Are you always able to take the photograph or do sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just too much. So how do you, how do you separate all of that? Uh I, I there's a, been a few times where I just I couldn't do it. One, one time is when I was on my own time in uh, Northern Ireland, and uh, I I got to know a guy that uh, that where he lived in a uh, housing situation where which was mixed before the trouble started, and then the uh, the Catholics moved out. And when they moved out, they torched the place, so the whole place burnt down. Oh, it didn't all burn down, but it was it was pretty well gutted. And mm-hmm. then uh, they were rebuilding it, and it was. I'm sorry when the when the Protestants moved out, they torched it, and uh, and it became an, an entirely Catholic uh, compound after that. But anyway, I was going. He was taking me through the place, and uh, we were walking around, and then. Uh, we heard a noise, and we didn't know what it was. So we walked over to investigate, and there were uh, there was a, a high tension wire that had dropped to the ground, and uh, there was a little boy who was maybe eleven or twelve years old that had been playing there, and he was electrocuted, and his father and a couple of other guys came over and pulled him off, but it was too late, and his father picked him up and was carrying him in his arms right towards me and right past me. And I just felt like I couldn't, this was such a private moment. I couldn't take that picture. And you were there though, in that case, from what you just said as a private citizen, is it, is it different emotions if no, you were covering? I, mean, uh, I wasn't, even when you're a private citizen, uh, you always have your camera with you. And I would do a lot of my work when I wasn't technically on duty and that's just the way the Tribune worked. Is that if you did any any pictures on your own and they wanted to use them, then you got time off. You know, it wasn't. I didn't get extra pay for it, and I didn't really want it. I I much more appreciated my time off than uh, extra pay. Do you retain the copyrights to those personal pictures? Like the Tribune then takes them, so to speak. Not no anything that well. I mean. Yeah, a lot of them. It's a, it's a weird situation, yeah. and I can't, I can't tell you who owns what. <laughs> I know for sure they own most of what I've taken. You know, we have about five minutes left, but some of the things I wanted to see is how COVID has impacted you over this past year. And I think you actually did some traveling. Uh, but tell us a little bit of how COVID, you know, impacted you personally, professionally. Yeah, and also well, mention your books, too. I, I was, uh, thank you. I was very, uh, I was very fortunate because my girlfriend lives in Indiana and I live in Michigan 15 minutes away. And so we'd spend time either at her house or my house or, or take time off and be alone. And we were working on a genealogy book on my father's side. We'd already done, my sister and I had already done, uh, our mother's side before that. And uh, Diane is a, a wonderful designer. So I pulled her out of retirement to design <laughs> the book. And she did an incredible job. So anyway, we and she's a gardener. She has the most fantastic garden I've ever seen. 
And um, so that kept her busy during the summer. And the, the book kept me busy uh, all the time. Uh, and so we're very happy with it. There were uh, uh, our favorite restaurant, uh, Cafe Gulistan, remained open the whole time outdoors. And uh, they had really good weather last year. So we could we could eat out, we could dine out. There are a couple of other places that were open. We did take one trip. I'd always wanted to go back to uh, Mackinac Island. And uh, so we thought, okay, let's go to Mackinac Island. We'll be outside all the time. And so we did that in June, and that worked out really well. Anything else uh, you're looking forward to doing uh, now that the pandemic is sort of uh, getting behind us? Well, we got uh, we're double vaxxed, so as soon as that happened in in March, uh, we took a, a trip down to Florida. Uh, we went through D.C., which is where my daughter is, and uh, and then went down the East Coast to Florida and then back. So we had quite a long trip then, and then we just came back from a, a trip out east again to D.C., but then to Boston to Vermont right at the peak colors this is around in early October. I've never seen colors like this. This was unbelievable. And the thing about Vermont, and then we went into Canada after that, and, and Quebec, was that all their colors happen at once. Whereas here in the Midwest, you get some trees are in color, and then right. others are coming, and then the trees in color drop their leaves. And, you know, so you don't get this powerful grouping of colors like we saw out there. So Chuck, um, there are two books that you did also based on the sidewalk columns as well, correct? Or Yeah, yeah. So Northwestern did our first book uh, and we uh, we wanted to do another book because we had this uh, an exhibit through the city of Chicago uh, that was coming up. The, this was in January. It's coming up the following November. And uh, we thought it'd be great to have a second book out by then. And Northwestern would have done it, but, you know, it takes publishers, what, a year and a half, two years, three years to actually get a book out. And uh, so we turned ourselves into a publishing company and put it together. Same people that did the Northwestern book did our book. So I want to say if you and Rick go out on another adventure for a sidewalk, I want to tag along, please. <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to come along on those. I wish that was going to happen, but uh, I, I think those days are gone. Well, Rick's still doing the sidewalks, but uh, now he's doing it with whatever photographer happens to be around. Well, we'd like to thank you for coming on Art in the Air. That's Chuck Osgood, world traveler, uh, former photographer for the uh, Chicago Tribune. And uh, as you've heard, done much and specialized in theater, performance, events, uh, and everything. And uh, been around for a while doing lots of things, especially the sidewalk books. So uh, tell us real quickly how they can find you, uh, uh, your website, and Chuck. Uh, I don't know. Just Google Charles Osgood. The website comes up. Oh. Charles Osgood photographer. Well, the other one you can find is uh, sidewalkbookcompany.com. That's sidewalkbookcompany.com. Chuck, thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air. My pleasure, and thank you. Thank you, Chuck. You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 
Art in the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. Underwriters for Art in the Air, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments, and Marilyn Van, Arts Patron. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air, Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air always. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself in art. And show the world your heart, express yourself in art. And show the world your heart, express yourself in art. And show the world.